There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Body Wrappers, Angela Luzio is delighted to sponsor this episode of Conversations on Dance. Body Wrappers, Angela Luzio is known for its fine, total stretch tights and Angela Luzio shoes. Tyler Peck, principal dancer with New York City Ballet, is its spokesperson and designer of Tyler Peck Designs for Premiere. Tyler's beautiful, original designs fit perfectly, move well with the body, won't ride up in the back, and are ideal for class, rehearsal, and performance. Body Wrappers makes additional apparel for all disciplines and significant to dance teachers this time of year. Body Wrappers performance wear remix for competition and recital, consisting of various components that can be mixed and matched to create a unique costume you won't see anywhere else, like the one featured in Body Wrappers ad. You may view all the products at bodywrappers.com or to purchase Body Wrappers performance wear remix items, go to your favorite local dance retailer shop or online store. To view and buy the entire collection of Tyler Peck designs, go to dancewearcorner.com. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. This week, we welcome Caitlin Trainer, Artistic Director of Trainer Dance and founder of Dancio. Named one of the 25 to watch in 2016 by Dance Magazine, Caitlin is a performer, choreographer, and a member of the faculty at Barnard College. Caitlin fell in love with dance and choreography during her time in college at Skidmore, where she became determined to carve out a career for herself in the field. And indeed, she did. She has been prolific in the field ever since, founding her own company, Trainer Dance, in 2011. Last year, Caitlin launched her newest venture, Dancio, a website that offers on-demand videos of ballet classes with some of the best teachers in the world. Today, we talk with Caitlin about how she came to love dance, how she pursued her dream of a career in dance, and the founding of her own company. We find out more about Dancio, how the idea came about, and what she sees in its future. We are here at Barnard College with Caitlin Trainer, where you are an adjunct uh, lecturer in the dance department. So thank you for welcoming us here today. And we're so excited to talk to you. Thanks. I'm happy to be with you. Thanks for having us here. So we want to talk um, about some of your new ventures that you've been going on. But first, we want to get to know you a little bit better. So can you tell us how you got your initial start in dance? 
Oh, gosh. Well, I um, grew up in a really small town and had access to a local dance studio and took some classes there, mostly things for which I wore sequined costumes and did mm. jazz hands. <laughs> um, and I had a lot of fun and moved around in this space. And I never knew what modern dance was until actually my third year of college when I had just transferred to Skidmore College, took my first class and fell head over heels in love, mm. declared dance as a major and stumbled out a year and a half later with a degree. Wow. So only as a junior. <laughs> right. Wow. Um, so I I had a kind of steep learning curve and it took a lot of bravery and courage and probably a lot of humiliation, um, <laughs> which <laughs> probably prepares you well for the field. <laughs> um, because I think you do need that tenacity to to survive, even, even if you've had all of the um, experience that one would maybe want going into the field at 22 years old. Um, but I knew I needed more education. And I um, shortly after graduating college applied to grad school and went out to California and get my graduate degree with no ulterior motive other than to become a better dancer. I know an odd path to do that, um, but it worked for me. And and um, after that, I moved to New York and slugged it out. Been slugging it out ever since. <laughs> That's just so impressive to me. I know we, we have had people on who had late starts or um, maybe didn't know, didn't click straight, straight away. But what about... Um, that year made you just so uh, avidly decide this was the thing to do, and even in spite of all the um, the immense amount of work you knew it was ahead. You know, it was the teacher that I met. I met my teacher, Deborah Fernandez, who is the chair of the department at Skidmore now mm -hmm. and has been my friend and mentor and inspiration for 20 plus years. And I've had two important teachers. One is Mary Cochran, who recently passed away and was the star of the Paul Taylor Company and my professor at Mills College and was the chair here subsequently. And that's how I began teaching at Barnard College. Um, but prior to that, I had met Deborah and I took her class one time and just fell in love over the course of the semester. And I think um, being the daughter of a professor of philosophy and a visual artist, mm -hmm. there was no pressure on me to do something practical or lucrative. Um, the economic situation and the sense of anxiety just in the world and the job market was so different than, um, than I see out there for my right. students. And you know, knowing that 75% of Americans end up in a field other than which they majored in, I felt, why not just pursue it for the love of it? Right. It is so amazing to hear these stories of teachers making such an impact on their students. And for Michael and I, we've just started teaching recently. So it's really fun to hear those stories of how important teachers can be. Um, so what were your first steps right after graduating college, after getting your graduate degree? How did you start and how did you get your foot in the door? My foot in the door in terms of performing and so yes. on. You know, I was kind of foolish. I Well, I moved to New York and just had a goal of taking class every day. And I went down to the Taylor studio because my teacher had been Mary Cochran mm -hmm. in grad school. Mm -hmm. And so I started taking class there quite a bit. And I also took ballet with Svi mm -hmm. Gatiner. I hope I didn't mispronounce his name. <laughs> I'm sure it's done better by him and, and um, all his uh he has such a following we're gonna get calls from them telling <laughs> i know i know the no. cult is going to come after me <laughs> <laughs> say speak so i took those two classes and um you know my my priority was just to continue dancing regularly and continue to hopefully grow as a dance artist and um being 
phenomenally naive about the field. I went to a few auditions, was offered a few little small potatoes gigs on teeny stages, as is very fortunate for a dancer just moving to New York City, Mm -hmm. um, and turned them down thinking like, no, I don't know if I'm in love with that yet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Cringe. Um, And in time, I got a huge kick in the pants um, dose of reality and realizing that paid employment doing dance that you love is like a unicorn. And so I um, started saying yes, of course, to all these different kinds of jobs, varying levels of um, satisfaction and, you know, just getting to know how it all worked was was a bit of a shock to my system. And, um, you know, some of these were like tiny little odd gigs downtown rolling around. And, you know, I got a job at the Metropolitan Opera wearing a wig and the dress and the, you know, cleavage and the whole thing. <laughs> um, so just did a lot of like odd jobs and didn't really have quite a dance home. Mm-hmm. Like I never had that company that was like, this is it. And these are my tribe and these are my people right. and this is my thing. But I did have right. some wonderful experiences. I danced with Sean Curran along the way and learned so much from him and the way he constructs things and makes things. And he's also just such a great human being. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen Koplowitz did lots of like big site specific, huge cast pieces and public spaces. So that was a big influence on me. Um, and and just lots of wonderful experiences, but eventually I felt like I wanted to start making things. And, um, I was super scared because New York somehow feels and felt so much more public than anywhere I had been before. Um, and it felt more judgmental. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's certainly not as permissive a culture in any way as say San Francisco Bay area where I had spent my graduate school years. Um, but I uh, began making things and just thought I needed to kind of try it right. and have been made. And then I um, eventually founded my company so that I could try to improve the economic situation for dancers and do the best that I could to compensate them effectively. And I thought that founding my company and establishing nonprofit status and, you know, applying for grants and so on would give me a better opportunity to that end of improved economics for the dancers, um, for whom, of course, it's rough out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I want to talk a little bit, we'll we'll definitely get back into your company, but um, the initial experimentation of being a choreographer what and and how you then evolved from that what were some of your first works like where were you drawing from if you were kind of just like let's see how this goes what was your point of departure you know i think i had um in my mind this kind of big proscenium stage large scale pieces in my head i loved mark morris i loved paul taylor and i loved kind of these big old giant stage productions and of course working in new york city it's just it's hard to even think that way because you're in a room typically that's small and has low ceilings and this Mm -hmm. the intimacy of that i think results in a really different um kind of creative experience Mm -hmm. but um one of my first pieces was very dramatic. The dancers wore, half of the dancers wore black unitards that covered their hands, their feet, and their faces. So they looked like some kind of dark ghost or apparition. And then there were um, three women wearing like kind of light cream dresses that that would like wrap around and kind of encase these these bodies, these haunts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that was one of the first pieces. The other one was a kind of humorous, version of a love story that took place with in nature and it said like it 
had the nature programming text that you hear on those, like the red-eyed tree frog mates <laughs> in the jungle. Uh-huh. And then I had the dancers like fly into each other's arms like frogs, you know, uh-huh. and then and then mixed it up with, um, you know, kind of old old time music, romancy stuff. Um, so I guess it runs the gamut, but um, now I am interested most in, I, I guess it's not fair to say just form and structure, but like the marriage of form and structure and content. So that stuff is really holds up to me from like a crafting standpoint, but is very human. And whether that's, you know, story human or just visually, um, I guess, satisfying, that's my my entry point. Yeah. So to start with your company now, to talk a little bit more about that, you were talking about improving the economic stat- status of your dancers. And as we all know, starting a venture like that is very expensive and it is very daunting. So how did the idea really come about and how did you start with the initial funding to get it off the ground? Oh, gosh, on a shoestring, really. Um, and a lot of luck. I I think I signed up for a program called boot camp for the artist as entrepreneur that at NIFA puts out oh. or was doing as a trial at that time. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a five-week program immersive of all of the things that artists should know to kind of operate in the field. Mm-hmm. And it was during that time that I made the decision that I was going to found the company, having no idea what that actually entailed in terms <laughs> right. of the hours of work and the amount of administrative like toil yeah. that it 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 required, I just thought, yep, this is the next step. This is how to keep going. And it was probably a good thing that I didn't know how hard it was. (laughs) Um, But actually, I found a lawyer through VLA, Volunteer Lawyers for the Arts, and she set up the whole nonprofit. So that was how we were able to do it with very, very little funding. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, um, you know, something like 90% of small company budgets come through private donors. Mm -hmm. And I was aware of that. So I just kind of hustled and, you know, did a bunch of fundraising and was really fortunate that that people were generous and and thought it was a good, you know, idea to invest in. Was that something that came naturally? It's always because this is so it's so different from the artistic side of things. Was that did you have to Heinous. pull that out? Yeah, I mean, it seemed no, it takes it's it goes against everything. Like I am a Yankee, you know, you work hard and you get paid and you get uh, your money that way. And it felt especially at that time it felt like begging like oh can i have some money it felt personal and now through time i've recognized like there's a nonprofit entity it benefits society art is good for human beings right right. circle back to those reasons to make you kind of push through yes and i think being the spearhead of the organization makes it even more difficult because you're getting behind your work and saying this is of value and you have to have that confidence and that assertiveness to Mm. ask people with whom you have relationships and, and your pride and your sense of, um, you know, I don't know. It it just feels kind of audacious to ask. Mm. Um, and I, I still feel uncomfortable and it's still hard, but it's, um, part of the lay of the land. And, um, and I have found over the years ways to do it that resonate for me and feel, Okay. (laughs) So what is your mission with the company other than like you talked about supporting the dancers? What else do you hope to accomplish? Oh, I I mean, I think that it takes many, many years to become a master anything. Um, And I think being a master artist is one of those things. But if and when a person is able to achieve that, um, I think their gift to the world is is art that, um, 
you know, awakens the spirit somehow and feels revitalizing or connects people. So of course, that's my ultimate goal. Um, It is a vehicle for creative work. And my ultimate creative goal is to make art that brings meaning um, to the, to the community around me. Um, I guess, you know, from an aesthetics, aesthetics aren't really separated, right, from content and what we're like, what we're saying and how we're saying it isn't different. And I'm not um, um, blind to the fact that there is no such thing as a neutral body, that everything we put on the stage is saying something, right? right? Like, like, if you have a man and a woman, that's already a statement, you know? Um, So, so I'm very aware of like the social circumstances and political circumstances around my work. And while those aren't necessarily questions that I address directly through it, I um, work inclusively to the ideals that I want to see embodied on the stage. My ca- my dancers look really different from one another. They have different body types, different styles of movement, different backgrounds. Um, I like that. I like to see a woman lift up a man unexpectedly or a small person not be continually manipulated mm-hmm. um, because there's so many more interesting ways, I think, that we can represent bodies and and power and relationships. Um, but I, I still am just a sucker for what I call like beauty, you know, um, mm-hmm. movement in certain configurations that kind of dazzles the eye and just gives you that rush of feeling in the way that uh, a song can or a mm-hmm. piece of music it just transports you so i guess that's my so many wonderful things is what that is <laughs> I, I love you're already talking about um playing with conventions or moving past conventions choreographically but i think um especially within the past year but even leading up to it there's been a demand um, to move away from the conventions of a male-led um, art world. So, uh, and not obviously just not not only in the art world, but it's certainly finally starting to infiltrate. Mm-hmm. Um, ballet in particular has always been kind of late uh, to pick up on these sort of things. So how do you think that the dance world is finally moving forward? And why do you think it took so long? Um. I gave birth to my daughter 10 and a half months ago, and um, that was the biggest shift in my personal consciousness about how powerful, pervasive, and crushing the patriarchy is. And um, I think being of a kind of optimistic nature I and a very determined person who um, doesn't think too much about obstacles because it makes them more real and more difficult, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I had never, I think, really acknowledged how powerful um, the the status quo is and was. Mm-hmm. Um, but having my daughter and, and seeing everything from the language in her books, which is all male characters, even though they're bunny rabbits, <laughs> um, to the way people treat her and call her a he all the time, mm-hmm. even though babies don't look like any gender. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something that made me really grieve. And I felt like, oh, this is really terrible. Um and even though I've known forever that it's very hard for female artists out there, dancers, choreographers, performers of all kinds, um, my awareness has increased um, of, of that problem of late as well. And um, I think it takes so long because this is the water we're swimming in. It's mm-hmm. almost subconscious. Like all of the 
it's so the pa- the patriarchy is so pervasive that we're not aware of it. It's like the air we're breathing. Right. So I think the dance world and people speaking up, I think it's still going to be a long, slow grind. And if people are serious about overturning that, it's going to be a hard toiled fight. I just I, I don't think power will be rescinded so easily. Right. There are some things that feel merely symbolic because it's a whole system, right? It's not just yeah. and people. Uh, if even if you were, you feel like you're you're fighting the good fight against it. If you were brought up within that, it's very hard to see outside of it. I agree. I think it's going to be a long road, but it is interesting to finally be in a place where, I mean, women are are being even considered for roles of leadership in ballet. I mean, absolutely, and and just the acknowledgement, this the public statement that this is a problem. Is a big deal, yeah. And I think people have been kind of grumbling about it in the in the underbelly of of like the dance world for a long time, and and now that it's at least on people's radar, that's a huge opportunity point that we can kind of push forward. I think. Right. I'm gonna switch gears. I'm sorry, guys, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I did want to talk about since we are here at Barnard College, I wanted to um, hear a little bit about how you got your um, role here and what you, what kind of work you're doing here with your students. Oh, okay. So I, um, when I left graduate school and moved to New York, I had absolutely no intention to go into academia Mm -hmm. thinking that it crushed creativity (laughs) and, you know, it was a big bureaucracy, but Mary Cochran, my teacher who was a visionary and a genius was chairing the department. So who was I to turn her down when she offered me the opportunity to teach a course? Mm -hmm. Um, a few years later, when I asked her, why did you hire me of all your star-studded friends? And um, she said, well, I hired you because I like to have you around. But it turned out you could teach your ass off. Oh, <laughs> and that. I think she, her vision enabled her to see that what I couldn't even see in myself, which right. is that actually it's a big part of um, my identity to be a teacher. It's a natural thing for me. And it's mm-hmm. a you know, being a teacher and an artist and a maker and a doer and a performer is all glommed into one ball. Um, for me, that feels very rich and interconnected. And if one thing takes over too strongly, it it yeah. it doesn't feel as fruitful to me. Um, and, but anyway, she she brought me in teaching level one modern dance, mm-hmm. um, which may sound easier to teach than advanced levels and that you don't have to have as much information to transmit. But Starting at the beginning of something. Yeah. We were just talking about it today. It's so, it's so interesting and beautiful, Mm -hmm. but my advance, that's where starting late was an advantage Mm -hmm. because it wasn't second nature. Like passe is not second nature to me. Sure. To this day, I still have to think about passe and it's not the best passe on earth. (laughs) But where that helps you is if you're trying to teach someone else passe because you've had to think this doesn't work, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, this does. It's not like boing, there's my leg in perfect passe. Right. That's like people who, ba- like specifically for us thinking about ballet, that comes super naturally to them and they never had to think about it. They can't, not that they can't, I mean, they generally don't make super great teachers because they don't, they're just like, just do it. Do a triple pirouette. And you're like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? You know, so it is that I, having that analytic background is helpful. I was reading this quote. Uh, I mean, they were saying it in, in regards to Tom Brady, but I don't know if it was specifically... <laughs> This is the only about time him? sports will ever be on this podcast. I, I like well, it. And uh, it's coming from you even yeah. better. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was Nate Silver saying this. So okay. I, 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 that, that I'll read. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's winter, yes, right? I <laughs> it's like four weeks away, you guys. <laughs> but he, uh, the quote is, um, just because you're a bird doesn't mean you're an ornithologist, which is like, that's so cool. Oh, that is good. Yeah. I, I like mean, you, that. you're not aware of your own Brilliant. nature. I like that. So I, I definitely think that too. But yep. then at the same time, well, it's interesting because someone like Suzanne Farrell, who, but her, her, yes, she had such a physical talent, but it was the way she would transmit her, all of her mental yeah. uh, imagery and the things she would But she draw. put a lot of thought into That's her. I mean. Right, exactly. Some people are just physically talented and they right. just do that. But right. yeah. Yeah, I think that's and I I love what you were saying about your teacher that she just knew like that that sort of instinct because that also makes me think everything makes us think of Ballinger but <laughs> you know that he <laughs> he could look at someone when they were twenty and say you'll be a teacher later you'll do this but that's uh, a gift that others share as well and so Mary Cor- Corcoran knew who you um, while you were she yeah. Was- crazily intuitive Mm -hmm. amazing so how do you feel like your time um as a teacher has affected your um choreography has it had any influence and maybe have you seen it change a shift you know the material that i do in class is really different from what i do with my company because Mm -hmm. my purpose in teaching is to empower students and increase their skill base their confidence their musicality and so forth um so there are certain you know, and also to have this experience every time we come into the room and, you know, start on the floor or in a relaxed place and end, you know, in a fully danced kind of sweat afterwards. Um, So with those objectives, I have exercises that I think will reach that end with Mm -hmm. them. Um, And with my company, you know, the movement is often faster, more idiosyncratic, asymmetrical, um, and may or may not benefit the dancer in any particular way because – it's not the purpose. Um, f- one of the challenges that I have, and and I kind of vacillate between whether it's been great or terrible for me, you know, probably both, mm-hmm. um, is that I teach lower levels, which is great in that I really find it fulfilling and beautiful. There's something um, – like without pretension about the way beginners endeavor. And Mm. there's a vulnerability there that's really beautiful and fun Um, and bringing them up from level one to level two to level three and seeing the progression and, and being able to see the concepts evolve is really gratifying. Um, But there's a simplicity to that movement and an elemental kind of basic quality, you know, being able to repeat something, be able to teach something, being able to, almost quantify it takes a lot out of it for me in terms of quality, mystery, nuance. Mm -hmm. Um, And that process of trying to transmit something delicate Mm -hmm. or that feels very elusive even to me um, and then make it as concrete as possible in order to transmit it to students is challenging. And I I know that one day I'm going to understand that maybe it doesn't have to go that way and that's not the process and maybe some master teacher will, I will see something that's Mm -hmm. going to make me realize that there's a way to work with nuance at that level. But, but right now it feels like it's, it can be almost like pedantic and, and that I do so much of that, that I worry I, I wish there were more opportunity for like things to percolate and bubble up that would really inform my artistic work 
that aren't available at teaching those levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's one of the things that's hard is, is um, trying to figure out the relationship of what I actually want to do as an artist with what I'm teaching. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I love that you uh, are already admitting and, and being open to your own progression as a teacher that because um, this is something that I never really thought about because again when you're dancing sometimes that's you're just so one track mind you're like and when it's over I'll teach but get there then blah who, who knows what that'll yeah. be <laughs> but now I'm realizing how much hard work it is on that side that there is still a continued education like when you said like maybe I'll, I'll see some master teacher and it'll click with me and that will be how I involve this so that's uh such an interesting side of teaching as well it's certainly its own animal like pedagogy and Mm -hmm. and and i know for me one of the things that i'm i hope to do is continually redesign my courses and my objectives so that i'm alive in it right because with rep at first it's just scary and terrible and (laughs) you know you're so like you know ten thousand. 10,000 wrong steps per class, you know? Uh-huh. And then you go through this thing of like, oh, I'm doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. That's a danger zone. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's like, the I get I'm stuck in right in now same, a little yeah. bit. I'm, we're we're going to flip out of it. Yeah. <laughs> just You're start, inspiring it, us. Just choreographing seven. It throws everybody off. Oh. Why, you need a pianist. I know. I was, I was so, I had like mm-hmm. a really good combination in seven. And what was I supposed to do with it? With my... Blank with my CD. <laughs> oh. Yeah. We've got to be able to find one. That yeah. should be our mission. We'll, well find you one. Can find There's got to be one somewhere. Dave Brubeck. Okay. That's a Fives fun are good too. Take five. Okay. Oh, all right. I like it. <laughs> so you're, all of these things that you're doing sound fantastic. You have two huge projects going on. How do you find time for a new one that you've just added in that you founded? Dancio. <laughs> um. I'm so excited about this project. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So, and believe it or not, I have been working on this project for several years. It's just now being Mm -hmm. uh, brought out to the public. But um, in 2014, I came into the studio to do some creative work. I hadn't had time to get to class and I just need to get warmed up so that Mm -hmm. I could really generate some great material. And I started choreographing my warm up because that's what artists do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Tondo exercises are getting more and more complex and the musicality is getting more and more intricate. And I'm like, stop, you're just warming up. Do four (laughs) to the front, four to the side, four to the back. and It's over. Yeah. But of course, that's not very enjoyable. Right. Right. So I thought, well, why don't I just go on YouTube and find a class? Uh Uh-huh. And there, there was, was nothing. A, there was nothing. Right. There was a dearth. I mean, like little clips of this and that. Sure. And then maybe someone who had like from the back corner on the floor surreptitiously uh-huh. filmed their ballet class so that you couldn't possibly hear anything nor follow. Mm-hmm. Right. But there was nothing of quality that I could follow. And I was actually shocked by that. I was like, how is this possible? YouTube has bazillion videos. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I thought about that. And I thought I can make this. <laughs> That's so great. And um, so the idea was hatched that day for to create an online service to provide top, top quality dance classes that could be taken on mobile devices at any time, any place. Mm-hmm. And the long-term vision for it is not only to have ballet classes, but modern, contemporary, African, right. somatics modalities, um, and various concert and perhaps social forms of dance. Um, but over the the period that we've started, I just have those four beautiful ballet classes. We started with ballet because 
I mean, it appeals to a wide audience and is marketable in really di- diverse populations relative to the dance studio scene. Um, and also because it lends itself quite readily to the camera. Right. So can you tell us a little bit about how people can sign up for Dancio and how they can use your program? Yes, absolutely. So go to Dancio.com and you can sign up for a free class, a free, excuse me, bar with Julie Kent. I did that. I have it. <laughs> how was it? I haven't taken it yet because I can't dance, but I'm going to do it soon. It's on our way back out from I'm on my way Big back. Entry. Yeah. Oh. But, but I'm going to do it. It's on the way back it's, out. I'm You're like there. waiting until, yeah, I'm doing like my four. On, it was funny here. You talking about choreographing tondus. That's never a problem for me. I'm like, yay, I'm doing it myself. I can do four on quad. It's not a <laughs> choreographer but see you're a choreographer so you get in that don't you rem- like don't you remember those days long ago when we were dancing um but people do get in those um rats like you always hear a dancer be like i'm so sick of my bar no, someone give what, me a combination yeah like i need to do something yes. that's what before. we were just talking about on the way here we were like how great would it be to just like watch the combination learn it throw it in your pocket listen to the music and do it right and that's so great it's a resource for teachers too because sure. we're all inspired by taking different classes and we will eventually be selling the music from the classes. So if people do want to repeat oh. and say, today we're doing Julie Kent's ballet bar and they teach it verbatim, here's the music. Right. Nice. Goes. Beautiful. And she teaches, I mean, of course, she's exquisite. Right. We love her. Yeah. She came on the podcast. Oh, my was, goodness. How lovely is she? She's so lovely. So wonderful. And her class is as lovely, extremely well thought out, very progressive, mm-hmm. prepares you so well for what she proceeds to do in the center and beyond. And it's, um, of course, of the caliber mm-hmm. that she's been working, but it's also accessible for someone like me who, you know, I have a spatula feet and <laughs> I'm not a true ballet dancer, right? I just do ballet. I, you know, I'm not just like hoofing it out. And and it's a totally accessible class for, you know, someone right. who who might not have that as their superstar mode <laughs> i love that that's so great to hear so what are your future goals for dancio and where do you see uh, the project in five years okay so for over the short term we are going to expand to have a full library of classes maybe 30 or 35 to launch the site fully right now they're just a la carte rentals for 48 hours mm-hmm. and you can get those four classes carlos lopez julie kent craig hall and lauren king so we have city ballet and abt mm-hmm. represented really different classes beautiful all of them um Over the next year, like I said, we were going to expand the library of classes and begin to offer a subscription um, membership to the site for both institutions and organizations and for individuals. And so if you, let's say, own a dance studio and want to project a class on your wall every Friday, have a wild card class, Mm -hmm. then you could do that. Or, of course, you can carry your iPhone in your pocket and just show up before rehearsal and do your bar. Um, Over the long term, we are going to integrate several other features. One is a mix and match um, playlist feature so that let's say you want to start with a tailor back exercise and progress to a Cunningham adagio and then move across the floor with a Horton phrase. Uh By all means, you could do that. Or you could mix and match your ballet class and so on. Um, We want to launch the service first and foremost to dancers, people passionate about movement, and later we'll expand and offer um, classes that the general public can try. The intuitive movement 
fitness trend is right, right. just on the horizon mm-hmm. and people are starting to think about their bodies really differently like hitting the gym and kind of slugging it out on the weights might not resonate for everyone right now right. Mm-hmm. yoga has come and not gone but it's maybe relaxing a little but cooled. people are interested yeah, yeah cool <laughs> and people are interested in moving their bodies in a way that like connecting to their bodies in a different way i mm-hmm. think right now maybe because of um digital everything that there's there's maybe um room for more subtle relationship with the body and more fun and play um so we're going to open up to the general public and one of the ideas that i'm most excited about for dancio is actually the idea of international sh- idea sharing because of course what is happening in one city and another city just in the United States is really different, right? Mm-hmm. So like San Francisco and New York, really different types of movement, right. even in the same forms. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about what about when we get, you know, those people that are doing flying low technique in Central America? What about when we get those people that are using their bodies like calligraphy brushes on the floor in China? Mm-hmm. Let's get all of those people to teach a class and and share those ideas. It's already happening in so many other fields, but we don't have a way to share ideas as easily in dance. Mm-hmm. We're still relaying on, relying excuse me, on person-to-person communication, right. which is one of the beautiful things that I think will never die about right. dance. Live class will always be live class, and it's always going to be so important to touch one another and feel one another and be together in this space. But this is something that can, um, I think, facilitate idea transmission, even international collaborations and um, sharing. And I'm really excited about that aspect. I'm also really excited about the idea that people that may not have geographic, financial, or or other access to the top teachers of any type can just look online and get exactly what they need. Like a little kid in Nebraska who might not otherwise have access to any ballet, mm-hmm. maybe there's no dance studio in his town, go online and take class with Julie Kent. Right. And over time, we'd like to offer a broad enough range that people have an entry point and can progress meaningfully, you know, so that so that um, there's something out there for every kind of dancer. Mm-hmm. That was a point I was going to bring up, that kid in Nebraska. You know, it's maybe doesn't have access to a ballet studio, but is taking gymnastics, maybe like you were, and realizes that he has a knack for ballet and then maybe goes on to become a great dancer. Well, something like this could really be um, uh, the kind of influencer that maybe we have a have had a gap from that. Mm-hmm. I hear so many people and and myself kind of included in this were inspired by the days of dance in America on PBS. <sighs> But there's yes. less and less of that, I find. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not, uh, I mean, so we have this opportunity with in the digital age to bring dance to people, but it's it hasn't been done in such a um, cohesive way. So I love that you're trying to kind of spearhead that movement. Yeah, I'm excited about it. And um, I think that that sharing is going to be a really fertile area and, and, who knows how dancers will put that together? Mm-hmm. Obviously, everyone's super creative. So I think having access to more ideas is just going to blow things up. So exciting. I can't wait to see where the business goes in the future and to take some of your classes. It'll be yes. perfect. <laughs> I'm, I, just a side note, I'm taking Lauren King's as soon as I can now. because I love Lauren. It's going to oh, be so hard. She's amazing. It is, <laughs> so hard. but you know, the legwork, the footwork, the yeah. rhythms are just incredible. Lauren's such, well, she's so smart and so technically beautiful. We're all doing so. the gesture with our legs. We're all doing yeah. the gesture, yes. The hand gesture. So I, because I danced with her a little bit this summer and I also was at school with her and I just loved watching her warm up because she just, she makes herself do the hardest things because she's just like, now my body is ready to do. That's great. Anything. Yeah. 
I love it. Wonderful. Well, just to wrap up our chat with you, we have a section at the end of all of our interviews called our lightning round, where we just ask you one quick question and you tell us the first thing that comes to mind. Everyone gets panicked, but it's not panic. No, no, it's very easy. There's no gotcha questions on here. So the first one is, what is 2020 candidate? No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, (laughs) What is your favorite dance work? Oh my goodness. Um, Mark Morris, Allegro. Nice. Um, what's who is your dream dancio teacher? <gasps> you know, you can pick a couple if you'd like. Okay, actually, I think Milton Myers would be an amazing Horton teacher. I think Horton would lend itself really well to being able to take it independently. Mm-hmm. And Milton Myers is just such the best of the old world. He's such a gentleman. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, Milton Myers doing Horton technique mm-hmm. and. Maybe someone like Doug Verone, just like tossing that liquid, Mm -hmm. like silky deliciousness around. Awesome. (laughs) Um, What is one way that you might want to expand Dancio in the future? I know we've talked about a lot of ways, but if there was like one thing that you quite haven't quite figured out how to make it happen yet, like maybe technology wise or something, is there one other thing? Yeah. Well, one of the things that we may be able to make and the technology is maybe there, maybe not, right. but is actually an in-person class finder for anywhere in the world. Oh, cool. So I want the site ultimately to be a nexus for dancers. So it's not mm-hmm. just online dance classes, but it's kind of like a LinkedIn and online dance mm-hmm. class. We'll have a class review system based on positive dance enthusiasts, hmm. descriptive reviews right. that just allow people to find out whether a class is a good right, match for them, for them or mm-hmm. not. Not any slash and trash stuff. Where the, the field is hard enough. We want to support one another yeah. out there. <laughs> um, um, but the the class finder, the, is, the idea is, let's say I'm going to be in Paris tomorrow and I want a ballet class at noon. Yes. How do I find a class? How much Googling? How much right, research? Right, right. How much Facebook recommends? Blah, blah. Right. Yeah. It's a terrible process, let's face it. it and it's, it's a disincentive to going to class. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that Dancio will provide online classes, but also a service to help people find class anywhere in the world mm-hmm. in a minute. Love That's it. That's the idea. Ugh. It's a great, great one. I hope it works out. <laughs> you too. <laughs> so uh, sky's the limit in terms of budget and time. Uh, what is your dream choreography project for Trainer Dance? Actually, it's um, an audience interactive, site-specific Cinderella, very um, unconventional casting and ideas. The idea is that we take the fantasy aspect of the fairy tale and the familiarity of that story so that we can turn it on its head mm-hmm. and the audience will come with us knowing that they they know, they know most everybody is. knows the Cinderella story, right. sure. even though there are actually a lot of old um, variations right. that are not the Walt Disney story that everyone Right. is familiar with. Um, regardless, it will take place, um, if we can get our dream budget, mm-hmm. um, at the um, the Ukrainian Institute on 79th and 5th is the most beautiful building. It's a small mansion mm-hmm. um, with a an elaborate staircase and carved wood and a little room that looks like a Fabergé egg. And I'd like to invite in relatively small size audiences and have a piece that is immersive dance theater version of Cinderella um, with variable outcomes each night based on audience interaction. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. So it'd have like a number of scenes that would progress a little bit like the choose your own adventure books of the 1980s. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with those? 
Not really. But just before your time. (laughs) Well, there are stories um, that all began in a certain place, and then they would give the reader a choice. Like Mm -hmm. on page 27, does the main character jump over the river and run through the field, or does she get on an inner tube and float downstream? And then you turn to page 63 for the former and page 79 for the latter, Mm -hmm. and different outcomes and different progressions of the story would happen based on that. So we want to have the scenes progress based on audience interaction um differently each night but um that is our dream piece um with you know kind of the idea of taking the tchaikovsky score and messing it up a lot Mm -hmm. and turning everything on its head in in a way that is just like an escapist fantasy beautiful fun ridiculous event right will you invite us yeah yeah that's great well yeah thank you so much for chatting with us thank you thank you for joining us it was was a pleasure Thank you for joining us this week. We are thrilled to announce that we will be working with San Francisco Ballet April 20th through 25th to cover their massive choreography festival called Unbound, a festival of new works. Unbound will feature 12 choreographers creating 12 world premieres on the dancers of San Francisco Ballet that will premiere over 17 days. We are so thrilled to be partnering with the company to bring this groundbreaking festival to you through Conversations on Dance. To make sure you don't miss a moment from San Francisco. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe to Conversations on Dance via iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You won't want to miss this. Thank you for joining us today and we'll see you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.